You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is season two, episode three. It's hard to believe we are just a few weeks away from the 2017 The Breath and the Clay Creative Arts Conference in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. We've been planning for this event for probably close to eight or nine months at this point. And so to get this close to it, you just feel the momentum building with everything you've put in place. And man, I could not be more excited about the lineup we have this year. Many of the participants are folks that I've already interviewed on Makers and Mystics, Ken Weitzma, Loud Harp. And today I have two guests who are also going to be participating in The Breath and the Clay this year as well. And this is Emily Lewin and Sarah Bryan of the Bright Ideas Creative Collective. And Emily and Sarah do exceptional work with creative consultation and hosting workshops and facilitating experiences where both artists and then those that wouldn't necessarily consider themselves creatives can mine out that creative expression that we believe is inside of each of us as human beings. And so I wanted to give you guys a chance to be introduced to Sarah and to Emily and the work that they're doing in Bright Ideas. They're going to be helping me host some of our one-on-one creative consultation sessions at the conference. And uh, you can find out more about what they are at thebreathandtheclay.com. I'll also be putting a link for you to connect with Bright Ideas on makersandmystics.com. So check it out. And again, I hope you'll register for The Breath and the Clay, and we'll see you in March. So I have Emily and Sarah with me mm-hmm. from the Bright Ideas Creative Collective, and I'm really excited to have you guys on the podcast. And uh, I'm also excited to have you at the Breath and the Clay in just a few weeks. We're so, so excited. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I can't believe it's almost here. I know. I know. I've been talking about it for like half a year now, and so <laughs> it's hard to believe we're actually uh, coming down the runway with it, you know. <laughs> I usually start planning for the next after the first ends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like immediately. I, I already know half the people that I want to invite to 2018. So <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. But Sarah's, cool- <laughs> a, Sarah's a bit of a groupie. I don't know what what number of the Breath in the Clay this is for her. This will be my first one, and I've heard so much about it. So I'm really excited. That's awesome. I talked to you up big, so oh, you know, yeah. well, have a good yeah. show here. Yeah, well, this will be third for me. Really? Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm super excited about this one, and uh, we've we've got an interactive um, art installation we're doing this year that mm. that I pulled together with a couple of folks, and um, man, it's it's really exploding. I mean, it's 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 definitely been growing. I've I've actually had a lot of people ask me, "Can you do these in other cities around the country?" <laughs> awesome. You know, so that'd be great. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe we'll do a breath in the clay tour, but. <laughs> um, <laughs> But that anyway, would be it's a wonderful traveling circus. Hey, you know, I, it wouldn't be my first traveling circus, that's for sure. <laughs> so, so, Songs of Water is about as much of a traveling circus as you can imagine. But uh, I believe uh, that. Yeah. So, but anyways, you guys are bright ideas. Uh, you're a creative collective, and uh, I'd like to hear about you in your own words, Emily. Why don't you go first? Wow, bright ideas. We were just talking about how we're working on good ways to sum up what we do essentially we believe that everyone is creative every single person and we're really passionate about helping people unlock their creativity so some of our favorite examples have been 
really, really left-brained engineer type businessmen who are like, why should I bother with creativity? It doesn't add anything to my life. Mm -hmm. And Sarah's very keen on those. I should let her speak to that a little bit more. But just helping people recognize and understand the value that creativity adds to their life. Um, for me, I'm more of a self-taught artist, mm -hmm. um, not as traditionally trained in a lot of ways. In some areas I am. Um, and I've loved seeing, helping people change their view on creativity from like, oh, that's like for artsy fartsy people or that's crafts or like, I'm not one of those people. Yeah. And to breaking down a lot of those barriers for people to be able to access what's inside of themselves and really get it out. And then also for people to engage more with other people's art and, mm -hmm. you know, to break down some of those barriers between sort of quote unquote normal people and yeah. artists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. What would you say to all that, Sarah? Uh, I would say Emily is right in saying that I like to go after the hard cases yeah. or really more so the hard sales, you might say. Mm -hmm. I get uh, some sort of strange pleasure in finding the people that really are convinced that they're not creative and mm -hmm. that they can't possibly touch creativity and then sucking them into realizing that actually you are creative, creativity can benefit your life and that it looks like so much more than this traditional box of the arts yeah. that we've put it into. Yeah, that's amazing. So... So, if it tells you anything about our personalities, Sarah often gets the hard-headed people, and I get the hard-heart people. You know, so right. she leaves people think she leaves people thinking, and I leave people crying. You know, like yeah. Yeah. it's awesome. We we balance each other out well for that. Yes, we we come from both sides of the angle. Yeah, uh, you know, our culture or our society has given us this concept that some people are left-brain thinkers and some people are right brain thinkers and uh, it seems like you guys are a good balance of both sides of that and I'm sure that the people that you work with draw out different things from each of you or even um, as you're working with them uh, I don't know what do you what do you think about the whole left brain right brain idea do you ascribe to it or you think it's bogus I honestly I mean even scientifically that's really not accurate of a way to portray it. Yeah. I know culturally we're we're very tied. Mm -hmm. I think people really tie their identities to that mindset of like I I am a left brain person, therefore it it kind of insulates them from the vulnerability of art or your oh I'm a right brain person and it it insulates them from having to be organized or whatever other thing they you know view as as being left brain. So I feel like we kind of use that almost to a detriment in our society. I and Sarah is as well. I would say we're both a pretty strong combination. Like I'm a musician, a writer, a songwriter, I do, I'm a photographer, I do art, I'm also a really strong administrator, I've done event planning, I'm probably the like techie driven marketing side of what we do. Like I'm super ambitious entrepreneur, but I'm also like really creative. And so sometimes it is for me really challenging to balance both of those sides, if you will, of left or right brain. What about you, Sarah? What do you think? I don't really so much think of it as left brain, right brain anymore. 
obviously that's kind of bunk anyway, let's face it. But I grew up primarily amongst academics. So where Emily comes from very much sort of the self-taught, sort of self-born creative side, I come not quite from classical training, but essentially from there. My, you know, my college training is interior design. I grew up doing various kinds of arts among a lot of people who were professionally trained in the arts. And then I also grew up with people who were educators, writers, you know, I knew people that had their PhDs because I grew up in a university town. So for me, I think I kind of come at it almost from the intellectual creative side of I'm the one that steps in to deal with the people that must be reasoned into their creativity because there are those where it's like you can reach them on the emotional level and really ping that part of them that doesn't have words or logic to define where they're creative. They just know it in their guts. But then there's those... The yeah. other people in the world that have to be really kind of, yeah. I hate to say argued into it, but reasoned into this concept of you can be creative and here is a proof of how you can be a creative person, even sure. if you yeah. don't do a creative job, even if you can't paint a painting that looks mm-hmm. like anything anyone would want to hang on a wall or can't carry a tune in a bucket or do anything that has been traditionally defined as creative. Yeah. So I think I kind of step in for those people where I come at it from the, here are 10 reasons that add up to why you are creative, yeah. and you yeah. can't actually argue any of these because I planned it all out like a lawyer, <laughs> so there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love it. I yeah. love it. I outplay these awesome. arguments. <laughs> That's awesome. When you work with someone, like what, what does that look like in a practical way? Like, do you, have, do you have people that reach out to you and say, I'd like you to help cultivate a more creative lifestyle with me, or do you do like workshops, like daily workshops, or do you have ongoing uh, interactions with like the same people that, that you kind of mentor? What, what does that look like for you guys? Do you want to speak to that, Sarah? It's a little different for both of us, I think. Yeah, I think it kind of varies for both of us. For the two of us as Bright Ideas together, it's been primarily... Um, a series of small groups that we did kind of in our beginning stages. And then in more recent times, we've been doing workshops at different conferences and events. And then we've hosted a couple of our own workshops as well. So we we do a lot in group settings, but then we also have relationships with other people that we've either met through those workshops or small groups or that we've individually connected to that, you know, we stay connected with that. And then you know, as well through people that have gotten our books. Um, in fact, I had a good friend of my family that contacted me at Christmas ordering, I think, a whole, like, eight or nine of our books to give out to people that were in her family yeah. as Christmas gifts because she'd gotten one copy and was like, I want to give them to everyone. Everyone yeah. needs this. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, we have people we're reaching that we have yet to meet because uh-huh. now the books are going out. Well, tell me about the book, because that's, that's one thing I wanted to talk about. Yeah, tell, tell me about how that came to be and what's in it, and uh, so that our listeners can uh, get a copy of it. Well, like Sarah mentioned, we started this in small groups, and uh-huh. so we, we were looking for a resource to help us unlock our creativity that was really grounded in biblical truth, and yeah. we really struggled to find something, and some of our friends, creative leaders, (laughs) people who we really have drawn from their example for a lot of this stuff, um, 
really were like, well, why don't you guys do it? And we're like, we're 20-something-year-old girls. Like, who's going to listen to us? And they were like, no, mm-hmm. you, you're you full of bright ideas. You should do it. And that's where the name came from and everything. And mm-hmm. a couple of brave souls uh, came on this journey with us. and, and Three, to be exact. We, we um, they met with us every week in our kitchen, and we had nothing to give them and, you know, really like nothing to give them in terms of like tangibly. Um, And we just sat and like shared things and we created outlines and did things. And then Mm -hmm. they told people and we did another group and, and gave them articles or, you know, outlines. And we just sort of developed it over time. And um, so basically what the group is or what the book is, is the result of those small groups. And, um, we really thought about and and prayed about what does it look like to organically move into creativity because for a lot of people there really is a lot of emotional healing and even spiritual healing that can go into that because a lot of people get shut down in their creativity when they're kids because someone tells them their painting isn't good enough. You know, all kids believe they're creative. There's astonishing research about that and it gets trained out of them by being graded on their art. Yeah. You know, where all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. if your art's not good enough, then why should you pursue it? And, and so a lot of it is that kind of emotional healing in a sense. And so we start with dealing with like the inner workings of people and then we move into like interpersonal things and then we move into having a lifestyle of creativity. So it's very much like, it's sort of deep journey that you can go on through our book. But at the same time, we're so conversational and try to keep it sort of lighthearted, even though we're dealing with heavy topics. And so I would say that it's maybe more approachable than I just made it sound. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's Sarah might have a better way to phrase that. Yeah. I, I think the biggest thing for both of us with it was, to find a way to create material for people that, like we said, was spiritually grounded, but was also practical Uh because that was really the void that we were hitting is it was either practical, but we really had trouble with the other aspects of it. Like some of what it, you know, the ideals and things that it promoted or it was spiritually grounded, but totally impractical for normal everyday life. Yeah. It's like, these are great concepts, but you don't tell me how to apply them in my life. Yeah. So that I can be creative when I'm, you know, going to my accounting job or shuffling kids back and forth to soccer practice or whatever life looks like for you. So part of our approach, like Emily said, was to be conversational, to be very open, but to make it practical. So every chapter ends with actions to take to start applying what you read. It's like, try these things this week or try you know, something new or explore this concept and start really thinking about what that means for you and just finding different ways to get people to apply these ideas in their lives so that they would see real change out of the process. Mm, that's good. And then, you know, we also worked hard to kind of take some of these, like Emily said, rough emotional concepts, yeah. like dealing with perfectionism oh. or dealing with regret yeah. and criticism and, you know, as you read the books, you find that more often than not, we turn them into cartoon characters. Uh-huh. 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 So criticism became carnal criticism with his long <laughs> finger of judgment racing in to tell you what's wrong with your work. Yeah, yeah. Because it's easier to deal with a hard concept or something negative if it's a cartoon. Yeah. If it becomes a caricature, then it's like, oh, you're right, silly. Right. I can get over you so much easier. Yeah. So we tried to make the whole process of 
getting the healing and entering creativity into something that could be approachable and practical and really applicable to a normal person's experience. Which that's, that's an amazing approach, even uh, in and of itself. It it kind of Mm -hmm. goes back to the childlikeness and the playfulness that, you know, that so often gets worked out of people. I, I love that. There's some research. It's one of the most watched TED Talks of all time, I think, with Sir Ken Robinson. And we referenced it in our inspiration, but uh, he references, I think it was George Land did a study that showed that 95% of children test at astronaut level genius and creativity before they go into the education system. And by the time they're 18, it's like 5%. It's Mm -hmm. astonishing. And I'm in no way anti-education, but it just shows you something about how, you know, we yeah. we learn our way out of really the the awe and yeah. wonder yeah. that creativity mm-hmm. brings. And we do really endeavor to help it be a part of normal life. That's yeah. why in el- everywhere you'll see on all of our materials, we talk about living a lifestyle of creativity, yeah. not just mm-hmm. having creative hobbies, but that it becomes part of your everyday. Yeah. You know, it. Uh, you're making me think, uh, you know, creativity really is, uh, it's rooted in, in the spirit. I mean, uh, when, you know, um, all these things, wonder, play, and childlikeness. And I think that's why you find so many books that are part spirituality and part creativity, because even those that, that maybe don't ascribed to the Christian faith, they still recognize that inherent relationship between creativity and and spirituality. And um, I, I tend to think, and I've done some writing on this myself, but playfulness and childlikeness, and I keep going back to that because I think it's it's so important. It really is the wellspring of creativity. But so often getting back to that place, uh, you have to you do have to work through so much fear, uh, where, whether it's fear of failure or fear of rejection or whether it's these uh, fears of what other people think, those type of things. But um, when we can really find the place of, of playfulness, I think, and you guys can tell me if you agree, uh, in your book maybe you've already written about it, but like the difference between excellence and perfectionism. Like, uh, perfectionism would be kind of rooted in fear and pride, maybe, whereas excellence would be rooted in humility um, and uh, love. Uh, humili- love is, yeah. is the approach that we take when we talk about excellence versus perfectionism, that excellence is motivated by love and by passion, and yeah. that excellence allows you to have a journey you get to have a beginning a middle and an end and there's a sense of grace in excellence that like you want it to be the very best but it allows you to have a process whereas perfectionism demands that like if you're gonna get on a bike you better be ready to win the tour de france you know like it's like you can't you don't ever get a chance to be a beginner with perfectionism which keeps so many people from creativity because i struggle with this for sure that like i get nervous about the um more finer arts because i just haven't experienced it as much and i have so many friends that are so talented in it that i don't do them because i'm afraid of not measuring up to whatever my own standard is so i'm having to almost like trick my own mind to say this isn't that big of a deal i'm just playing you know like i'm just gonna play with some watercolors and like it doesn't have to be anything 
fancy or important and it kind of helps me work around that perfectionism for myself you know into yeah. a place where then I can develop excellence out of that does that make sense yeah. but that's uh, that's how we that's talk good. about it in our book Sarah may have some other thoughts yeah well and it's you know it's also that perfectionism because it's generated by fear mm -hmm. you may have something that on the outside appears to be perfected it appears to be the epitome of what it should be or how we've defined that it should be but it's hollow yeah. because there's really no passion behind it. Yeah. It's just a polished product that looks great but has no soul to it yeah. versus excellence that because it's motivated by love, because it's coming from a place of deep feeling and deep meaning and true passion, yeah. you know, it comes out and it moves through that process that Emily was talking about where it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it's given time to develop through all of those places that when it comes out, not only does it reach a very high place of you know, capability in yeah. terms of the product itself or whatever it is that's coming out, yeah. but it also is full of a passion that actually makes it a richer thing than just whatever perfectionism produced yeah. because you're actually pouring out of your real self in order to offer up whatever this is. And how much more creative can you be if you're striving for excellence in the way we're defining it than perfection because perfectionism really is a box that says yeah. your work has to meet these standards in order to be acceptable and creativity doesn't have boxes that's the whole right. beauty of it you know creativity <laughs> yeah. is thinking outside the box and so if you can allow yourself space to not have to be quote unquote perfect you might yeah. just discover something really incredible and creative yeah. and art from your heart that's excellent that you never would have found in the pursuit of perfection yeah. And you know, I think you guys are hitting on something that is so vital. But, you know, when we're talking about this excellence and um, just having the freedom to go after these things, I think it, really the core of that is knowing that you're loved, you know? And I think that's mm -hmm. why, I mean, for us, um, for myself, you know, um, relationship with God has been the essential ingredient to my creativity. I mean, you know, I, um, it was one thing for me to know that God loved me theologically, but then once I actually grabbed hold of the idea that God liked me, I don't know, that, that was a <laughs> that you're capable of making him happy, <laughs> you know, that that was, that was a different, uh, that was a different level for me, you know? And, and I think that, uh, when we really, rest in that place of knowing that we're loved by him, that's when we feel the freedom to play. That's when mm -hmm. we lose those deadly comparisons that kills creativity immediately. And I, I may want to come back and, and talk about comparison in a minute, because it's a deadly <laughs> it's a deadly one that I, I want to smash. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, but but uh, you know, but uh but when we are rooted in the love of God, it's like our lives have an inherent and innate creativity about them. And, you know, it, it's funny. I used to, back in the day, because I, I didn't grow up, I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian walk or whatever. And I remember writing, I said, so what of the poet who has been healed? 
And that was a le- hmm. legit question to me out because uh, I didn't know anything but sorrow as the impetus for my creative unction. I didn't know joy hmm. or love um, as the impetus. All that I knew was this really dark place. And so I was really concerned because once I figured out that Jesus was actually the real deal, uh, that freaked me out a little bit because I was like, "Whoa, this this is uh this is getting this is about to get real," you know. And and so when I knew my life was changing, um, that was an initial hurdle for me was uh, was coming to terms with with joy and love could actually be just as much uh, an impetus for creativity as sorrow and and pain, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I think I just entered a counseling session with you guys or something. <laughs> it happens. We need, People we need, find yeah. themselves in this position a lot. This yeah, is pretty yeah, normal we, for us. And yeah, I, yeah. something I've been exploring a lot recently, and you know, Sarah and I both grew up in church, if you will. I I can't speak for her, but I don't remember a time that I didn't know Jesus. Um, yeah. I'm sure there was a time I just, you know, I was so little, I don't remember it. My parents may speak differently to that, but, <laughs> um, but I think for me, I've almost had the other side of that in a sense where in the last couple years and really the last year, I've more given myself permission to explore, like, what does it look like to feel pain but still have hope? You know, what yeah. does it look like to explore really some of the harder side of emotions that I feel like in my church growing up experience, I didn't always feel like I was allowed to explore. And so I yeah. always felt like, oh, if I want to write songs, they need to be like happy because it's about Jesus, right? You know, <laughs> and and there is you know, there, there's some validity to that in, in some ways, you know, there, there's a place for that. But, um, I feel like the art that speaks the most to me in any form is when people are vulnerable. And if you're going to be vulnerable, you have to speak about both really the beauty that is found in every moment of life, whether it's a happy moment or a painful moment, there's beauty in every single moment. And I feel like we talk a lot about finding the redemption in things and finding the beauty in things. And I think the thing that's amazing about being an artist that knows our creator is that we, we can always have hope. So even if I'm drawing on a really painful situation, it lands in a different place because I I have a hope at the end of it always. That's really good. Yeah, I was actually, yeah. well, I was actually just thinking about you know, like Emily, I grew up in church. Um, you know, same story. I don't actually remember a time that I wasn't saved. I imagine somewhere around kindergarten, maybe I was bound for hell, but somewhere after that, <laughs> things got good. So you know, praise God. <laughs> But, you know, I was just sitting here thinking as you were talking that really the bigger thing for me was starting to connect with the idea that God is creator, thus my creative expression is actually a way of serving God and a way of bringing God pleasure that I didn't really understand from my growing up years in the church because for so long there hasn't really been a good place for creativity in the church if you didn't play an instrument. That was about the only outlet of creativity that we had in the church. And if you weren't doing that, it was like, well, I'm creative and I do all these things, but I guess they live in a box that's sort of separated from my relationship with God because how do I join them together? 
So starting to understand that God is the creator, that God loves creativity. Um, One of our key points in our sort of manifesto of core beliefs for bright ideas is that God loves creativity and he loves when you create. That you creating is something that brings him joy. That it is as much worship as being in a church service or reading your Bible or singing a song or praying. It's as much a means of connecting with God, expressing yourself to Him, and even serving Him. I mean, personally, I think God is just as delighted when I worship in church as He is when I dance a tango in the ballroom studio. Because it's me expressing that creative aspect of God that's inside of me that's unique to me, and that delights His heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and good. one other thought I have off the end of that that Sarah just touched on is the idea, and we talk about this in our book, that your unique your unique creative expression, yeah. that your creative expression, no one else has it in yeah. the entire world. And I, I believe that it's like a facet of God's nature that he's put Absolutely. in you. And if and in me and in Sarah, and if we don't express that, then yeah. the world actually loses out. Like Come on, that's it's, good. it's essential. Yeah. And it's as believers, you know, if we want to be worshiping and manifesting God in the world, then it's even yeah. more essential. But even just thinking about how incredible and essential that is to say that if Sarah doesn't dance her tangos, God didn't make another replacement for that. You know, he didn't make a backup. He just put that in her to do, you know, and if she doesn't do it, it will be just like the world will lose out on that beauty in a sense that is really vital. That's good. That's so good. Uh, It's like um, the wise prophet Dr. Seuss said, uh, it's it's truer than true. There's no one youer than you, you know? And uh, mm-hmm. I think it... I actually own yeah. that <laughs> Sarah gave it to me. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, I probably have a copy of I it back that here. But, um, that's why for me, comparison is something that I think is just diabolical. You know, there is that individual uniqueness that, that we've all been given as a gift. And I love what you said, that, that when, we, uh, when we don't express that, the world is missing something. You know, and mm-hmm. I would I would make a terrible um, Sarah or Emily, <laughs> but I, but I make a pretty good Stephen most days. You know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you guys so much for talking with me, and uh, I I look forward to reading your book. And I look forward to having you guys in the conference. Awesome! Thank you so much. This has been really something we've been looking forward to. 